Hey, it's Joe Roeder here at Reds. Thanks for tuning in, listening to what I call the Mend Podcast. And uh, the name of that podcast um, was really, uh, you know, mending is a fly fishing term. Uh, and obviously, term is to fix something. And started this podcast really because I want to help fix a lot of people's angling challenges and just offer solutions to what you're up against out there because fly fishing's tough. And uh, hopefully we can shorten the learning curve for a lot of you. And I try to try to stay on task with most of the podcast subjects and, and keep it extremely practical uh, for you. And uh, really enjoyed the feedback I get from you guys. So thank thank you very much for listening. Um, I'm, I'm just a one-man show. I'm sitting here in the Jeep Wrangler Sound Studio parked along the river because it's, uh, it's the only place where it seems like I can't can't be bothered. I can lock the doors if somebody comes to, to ask me a question or something while I'm trying to do this. So I'm in a, I'm a secure vault, so to speak. But uh, thanks for listening very much. Uh, I do this just to help you guys out. Uh, and, uh, and hopefully in return, we get some sales from you guys as well. So uh, right now we have a huge fly clearance sale going on. Uh, we found ourselves just grossly overstocked on flies. And um, if you are listening to this, tune into the, the fly sale. And if you just go to flies on our website, uh, just go in there and, and they're even sorted by kind of type in that clearance sale. But there's some absolutely awesome patterns in there. And for whatever reason, we are either not going to sell them anymore. Maybe we can't get um, all the sizes and colors and things from the tires. But we're just a huge shop. We've been in business a long time and it's time for us to turn some of that stuff over. So go tune into that fly sale and get stocked up. Uh, today's podcast is going to be a little bit more philosophical. Um, and I've just been absolutely slammed between guiding and helping run reds, operate reds in hunting season uh, which for those of you that know me, you know that hunting is an enormous part of my life outside of fly fishing and outfitting. And I've always said this, fly fishing is the closest thing I can find to big game hunting that I can do year round and get that prey over and over again in the form of catch and release, fly fishing I suppose. So maybe you're a hunter, maybe you've hunted a little bit, maybe you don't hunt at all, um, maybe you're adverse to hunting, um, it's America, we can all have an opinion, we don't have to agree, that's what makes us great. But I find fly fishing and hunting to be so incredibly parallel, and that's kind of what I'm going to talk just a little bit about today, it's just kind of this overwhelming idea that this is a predator and prey relationship. And... I can speak to this from 20 seasons. This I just am wrapping up my 20th season. Uh, yeah, it's 2020. I started in 2000. So uh, I'm wrapping up my 20th season in guiding and just watching people and, and some people who are, you know, really good fishermen, but maybe really bad casters. It, it may be that they have really good hunting instincts. You know, they cast at the right time. They mend at the right time. They don't make noise. Um... They keep their shadow off the fish. There's just all these little primal you, tools or strategies or processes that 
we all have it inside us as a human being. We all have these prowling and these hunting skills. Um, they're buried there in our DNA. That's how we survive. If, if you cut off our food supply tomorrow, um, we'd find out that we're probably far more capable at, at finding and capturing game than we would have thought. Um, so with, with fly fishing, I view it really as a predator and prey relationship. And I think that's what's helped me become, uh, an extremely capable angler, uh, is not just because of time and exposure It's because I grew up hunting. Um, you know, I was really blessed to grow up right in the foothills of Mount Rainier and I could hunt right out my back door, uh, whether it was for squirrels or grouse or blacktail deer or elk. Um, I could hunt right, literally, I could step off the porch, load a rifle, and and head into state timberland. Uh, I was surrounded by hundreds, if not thousands, of acres of state timberlands uh, right behind my house growing up. So I got to hunt deer, elk, like I said, all the time. And uh, I, I killed a few animals on the property, but I scared a lot more and spooked a lot more. And found myself highly uh, unsuccessful, I would say, hunting as a kid. But I learned a lot. I could also ride my mountain bike down to uh, two different rivers. My parents had a very free-range parenting style. And uh, I could mountain bike all the way down to these two rivers. And I grew up primarily spin fishing, which is a great way to grow up as a kid. Because you can get a lot done fast. Um, you, know, you know, tangling your line or getting it out of a tree isn't very productive for anybody, let alone when you're a kid, just trying to figure out where the fish hide, how they react, and what they do. So I had a great upbringing, uh, and, and hunting was really the, the thing that got me really hooked on fly fishing was, in fly fishing, you know, much like hunting, you, you study your prey's behavior, you know, um, I'm just coming off a, a, a big mule deer hunt with my older son, which was awesome. Uh, we both, we both took nice four by four muley bucks in 12 inches of snow in the high country of the North Cascades. It was just spectacular, but much like trout or deer or elk, when you're hunting something, you study the prey's habits, you understand what they eat and where they live and hopefully where they sleep. Uh, where do they live when they're not feeding? Uh, where do they live when they're, um, maybe wary, uh, hunting and fly fishing have all these parallels, uh, that exist that I think a lot of people there, there's so much distraction with just kind of all this BS surrounding tackle and flies and entomology that we kind of forget that this is a very primal pursuit of quarry and understanding that quarry's behavior uh, is critical to your success. So don't get too bogged down in thing, you know, Latin names of insects or processes of insects. There's like, there's a lot of static around that. And while that, those things are important, what's far more important is just understanding that this is a predator and prey relationship that the angler and the trout, we're just going to say trout, that the angler and the trout has or the fish. And it's not a game to them, okay? So it might be a game to you, but for them, there's there's severe finality that takes place when they get caught. So for them, it's not a, it's not a game. It's not a joke. Um, they're making decisions on where they live, how they hold, how they behave, when they decide to hide, when they decide to, to go deep, when they decide to go up under a cut bank or a log jam and not come out. Um, 
all of their decisions are based on staying alive. They're very low on the food chain. You know, they eat a few bugs. They might eat a few bait fish. But in general, trout are very low on the food chain. And they have those same survival instincts that they had when they're a minnow is when they're an adult. They're still scared of the bird. They're scared of shadows. And they're very wary and cautious. Okay. So I just think that that's a very important thing for you to understand. As you step into the river, you have to take on a predatory mindset. You're hunting. And, uh, I, you know, my, my, my big game hunting is like, like I said, I just think fly fishing is the, I, I, I take the, the two to me are incredibly similar. Uh, so I'm an avid bow hunter. A lot of people who, who know me know that I'm absolutely avid bow hunter for elk. That's like, I immerse myself in it. Um, and I, I took a beautiful six by six bull in the wilderness this year, my bow solo, solo hunt, studying where the elk live, what they do, where they go, find out everything out about them. And then hopefully hiding in their closet and, and, uh, and being able to take one of them, uh, so I can fill up my freezer for the fall. And, uh, I was able to do that. So with bow hunting, you, you get opportunities to make this one shot per season, like maybe a shot per season, or maybe it's every couple seasons for, for some folks, or maybe it's multiple shots a season, which happened to me a few times. Um, but with like, with fly fishing there, there's this, like in just observing anglers and kind of what we do, we tend to, we tend to think that there's a, a value in making a lot of casts or a lot of, I'm just going to say shots. Okay in taking a lot of shots at our prey. Fly fishermen love to just flog the living crap out of whatever water they're in. I see it driving back and forth the reds every day. I've said this on other podcasts. I drive by about 13 miles of Blue Ribbon River in the morning when I come to work, and I drive by the same 13 miles going home. And I see angler behavior every day. I'm not making this stuff up. I'm at risk of sounding arrogant. I'm not. I want to help. I want to make you guys all better. But the, the idea that there's value in a lot of casts is kind of, uh, I would say, a very a misconception. Uh, I wrote down just a few quotes, and I'm not sure that I'll read them verbatim, but as I was collecting a few thoughts for this podcast, um, one thing that I said is one delicate and accurate presentation has more value than a hundred thoughtless or mediocre attempts. One good cast, one good presentation in a, the, the terms that I said were delicate and accurate. And I witnessed this yesterday. We, we had fabulous dry fly fishing with blue winged olive mayflies. Um, it's probably our most, I would say it is our most technical hatch of the year. These are very small bugs. Um, they're, they're very delicate bugs. The fish don't tolerate poor presentations. And you have to lay in one delicate, accurate cast. And we spent some time in what is known as the rock garden here in the Yakima Canyon. It's probably the most famous and, and popular little section of the Yakima River. And I pulled my guests over and we had some lunch. We'd been doing a little Euronymphing. We'd been doing a little spay fishing. But really what I was doing was dragging my feet waiting for this blue-winged olive hatch to start. And I got the, the lightweight, we got the three-weight rods rigged up, and when that blue-wing hatch started, we jumped in the boat and we floated, you know, another 150 feet into what we call the rock garden. 
and we got to cast rising fish for about two hours. And I've, I've done that hundreds and hundreds of days. I've watched tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of presentations to rising fish. One delicate, accurate cast, your first shot is by far the most valuable. Fly casts, when done poorly, are the equivalent of shooting guns at ducks. It'd be like sitting in the duck blind and having your buddy sky bust some mallards coming in, you know, meaning shoot at them when they're way too high, and the ducks fly away. Ducks just go to another pond. Trout do the same thing. You make noise with that cast, you slap the fly on the water, or you drag the fly aggressively, making a big V-wake and making noise with your leader and your line. And it, fishermen call that lining the fish. Uh, it's a common term, just you lined them. That's going to put those fish down. And you have to realize that there's a lot of consequence to making these bad shots. So delicate and accurate is really key. One delicate and accurate presentation is worth 100 uh, mediocre casts. And I've said this, I think, on I know I've said it guiding a lot. And if your goal is to catch one nice trout, you know, one nice, solid, semi-mature, mature trout or whatever trout's there, and, and you step into a piece of water, go ahead and catch them on the first cast. This idea that we need to start short and carefully measure uh, is baloney. I'll generally run my first drift just on, like, if I could split the fish's eyeballs I would run it just on the near, over the near eyeball, you know, if it's a very distinct seam, you know, for instance. So if it's like a very, it's like obvious, okay, the fish is holding in that seam, I'll run it just on my side of it, you know. Um, but in general, try to catch uh, fish on the first cast. Um, something that I learned, but kind of my next little tip, you know, in respecting this predator and prey relationship and I was listening to another bo- podcast called uh, The Hunt Backcountry Podcast, um, put on by the Exo Mountain Gear guys. And it's a hunting podcast, And but there's, like I said, so many parallels in how I examine or look at fishing uh, on that. And they had a guest on there who said, you know, if you really want to be successful uh, in wilderness hunting or mountain hunting, you've got to just throw your watch away. And that could not be more true in hunting than it is in fly fishing. I see too many people who are in a hurry to do things. And every day, I'm going to walk back into the fly shop right after I record this podcast. I'm watching a guy launch his boat right here. I'm watching it's a Clackett craft, 16-foot low profile. He's, I've watched two boats launch since I've been sitting here in my Jeep. And uh, I can almost guarantee you those anglers are going to be way too ambitious they're going to, for this time of year, they're going to float way too far. They're going to make these glancing shots, you know, or take these glancing shots at really good pieces of water where they just kind of slap the fly in there out of the boat on the move. And that can work at certain times during hopper season, the early hopper season, that can work. But, you know, when this water is low and clear and the fish are picky, we have 1,400 trout per mile here. Why in the world would you need to float six miles? 1,400 trout per mile, wouldn't you think like a mile or two of river? Wouldn't that be enough to, to get you enough trout or access to enough trout? I mean, we might be doing it wrong if we need to float more than that. So um, throw your watch away. Um, take your time. Immerse yourself in the presence of that river. Um, watch, look at the water. Look at the bugs that are coming down. Get in that mindset. Take a deep, it sounds corny, but take a deep breath in through your nose and out through your mouth. 
don't hurry. Just get yourself in water that looks good. Like I said, I'm going to go in the fly shop after I record this podcast. And it's going to be hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. Oh my gosh, let's go, let's go. Uh, and you need to throw your watch away. You need to just immerse yourself in that river. You need to get in a good piece of water. And you need to just take a deep breath and figure out how to how to outsmart that prey that is right there. And I've said this again and again. If you go to a piece of water it, and it looks good to you, guess what? It's even better than you think. It is so egocentrical for us to go to a river, a stream, a lake, a piece of water, fish it, and dismiss it when we don't have success. That piece of water is better than you think it is. There's more there than than what you're catching. Trout don't feed all day, all the time, especially these big mature trout. A six-year-old rainbow trout is smart. 24 hours a day, seven days a week for six years, that trout has been there. For five years of its life, it's been fished to regularly for five years, okay? We can still fool those trout, but don't fall into this trap that you're going to rely on luck or fortune to get those fish because that's what too many people do. So throw your watch away, take your time, take a deep breath, go slow, be present, observe a little bit, and make worthy casts. Every cast you throw should have some type of value to it. Uh, another one that I strongly recommend, I can't recommend this enough that, you know, it's kind of a parallel from hunting that I find is I hunt by myself a lot. Um, not because I'm antisocial. Um, I think I'm a pretty chummy guy, but I don't, there, there's certainly times buddies make, buddies make it better. You know, I think there's some kind of quote, you know, buddies make it better. You could still go with friends. But fish alone, part of the time you're doing that, don't always be with an earshot, whispering, getting distracted, wondering what your friend is using or how he's doing and blah, blah, blah. Insert yourself into that environment and fish alone a little bit. You're going to, you're going to hear things. You're going to hear trout rise. You're going to see things. You're going to see bugs differently. You're going to go at a pace that is not dictated by anyone but you. You get to make all the decisions on how long you stay in a particular spot, how fast you move downriver, uh, whether you get back in your car and drive to another spot. You now control the tempo of that day. And I think it's really critical for people. It's healthy for a person to fish alone anyways, from just a mental and, and spiritual standpoint. But I really think people's angling would be honed much finer and much faster if they spent a little bit more time fishing solo. And there's there's lots of solo anglers. You know, this I wouldn't say I'm speaking to the the minority or the majority. Uh, I I think a lot of people do fish alone, but uh, I would encourage you to spend some time alone, and so that way you can move exactly at the pace that you feel is required for that fishery. Uh, uh, for that day. Um, one of the next things that, that I, that I thought about is we, we have all this, what I described as static. 
And that's well, what kind of indicator should I use? What kind of tippet do I need? And I make my living selling tackle. I think people should be outfitted correctly. And go to redsflyfishing.com right now while you're listening to this. Buy some stuff from us. That's how I make my living. I'd appreciate it. But on the other hand, I think there's a lot of static where people get distracted by all these different tools. And I probably don't help that. But I'm going to share with you right now that I think people change flies and change setups probably too much. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm a fan or not a fan of, of Yvonne Chouinard. Um, you know, but he, he definitely has his opinions about certain things and, and I admire and appreciate some of the opinions. The other ones, maybe not so much, but, uh, one thing that I did listen to him, he was on a podcast on the Steve Rinella podcast, uh, the mediator podcast. And, uh, I knew this already because I'd read an article about it or something, but he spent like a whole year fishing the exact same fly for y- Yvonne Chouinard did. Fishing the exact same fly for over a year or something. I, I don't, the details are a little bit um, murky uh, right now, but uh, what he learned in fishing, you know, the same fly for a year, and I wish we all had that luxury, right? And, and, had enough spare time that we just say, oh, hell, I'm going to fish this net and spend the next year fishing one fly. Uh, but what he learned is just how to hunt fish and how to ma- make that fly act, behave, and move, and, and drift, and float, or sink, or whatever. He was fishing soft tackle pheasant tails. If you wanted it to be a dry fly, you put a little floating on it. You want it to sink, you maybe use a sink tip line. Uh, use a big one or a small one, you know, but the same pattern for a whole year. And, uh, I, when I heard that testimony, I was like, absolutely. There's so much value to that. I could guide, I could guide the entire next year, probably with 12 different patterns and fish the entire season, because I know the patterns extremely well. I know how to move them and manipulate them and behave them or make them behave. And I probably would have an easier time fishing with less patterns. Guiding sometimes I need the help of the fly a little bit to get my anglers to 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 find the success that we we expect out of a guided trip with me. But um, fish the same flies consistently. Learn how to make those flies do what you need them to do to catch fish. Okay, and by for the love of God here buy good flies. There are 70 cent flies at discount shops all over the internet. Stay away from that garbage. We've seen it before. We've been there. We've done that. Buy fly, buy good quality flies, buy flies at reds. You can get the basics, you know, um, but getting a really good fly, if it's a nymph, it should sink well, um, or sink appropriately. If it's a dry fly, it should have quality hackles and quality hairs and hold together well and stay afloat and float correctly and float square when it's on the water. Get familiar with good flies and stick to those flies and become confident in those bugs. Don't always chase this phantom idea that the uh, the, ne- the next fly is going to is going to going to make it happen for you because what's going to make it happen for you is your presentation. So buy really good flies. Um, understand that uh, ill preparation, uh, I'm going to paraphrase here because I didn't write it down quite as, as poetically as I, I hope to say the, this, but the next thing I'll talk about is just preparation. 
when it comes to my hunting, um, I, I think because fishing, I do it all the time. I'm a little bit more in this kind of this automated routine and my stuff's pretty, probably pretty well organized. When it comes to hunting, I have meticulous uh, preparation. I mean, I have an Excel spreadsheet of everything that goes in my hunting pack, my hunting camp. If I'm hunting with a, a bivy gear, bivy gear on my back and a sleeping bag, I've got everything in Excel spreadsheet. Uh, and at one time I even took a kitchen scale and I know down to the number of ounces or half ounces that each item that goes in my pack exactly what it weighs so I can determine value based on weight. Uh, so, you know, when I hunt, I'm, I have meticulous present, uh, preparation. I mean, I know exactly what my rifles are going to do at every range. I know exactly what my archery gear does. I'm practicing shooting all that stuff with my pack on binoculars on different positions, field positions, kind of running through all those different drills with fishing. Like our fishing time is extremely valuable yet. Anglers don't seem to want to prepare or take the time or find value in it. I think it's because they think it's a game to the fish and it's catch and release most of the time. Uh, not all the time. I, I still find myself in situations where I get to keep some fish and you know, when legal, you should take advantage of that. Uh, but uh, like when I'm hunting or people are hunting, you know, they're hunters that take meticulous preparation. They've got maybe one shot the entire season to, to, to pack that freezer full of elk meat or deer meat or whatever it is they're hunting and they'll prepare. Um, they'll put the time in, but people don't practice. I'm, I'm going to be very frank. People don't practice casting. You might have one shot at a 24-inch brown that's feeding delicately on caddis up under a cut bank or a stick or a log, and you haven't practiced that cast? Are you kidding me? You know, like, if you're if you're thinking about going someplace far away and pursuing a high-stake species, even, even trout, you know, I don't want to be dismissive of trout. Trout are high-stakes. Say you're going to Montana, you're going to go to the Missouri River, and you're going to headhunt for big rising fish. You should practice your casting. And if you're not a good caster, you should get some lessons. Practice is free. Watch some videos, read some books, get good at casting. Control that variable. Um, ill preparation can only, here's my quote, ill preparation can only yield positive results if luck is on your side. Luck and hope are not a strategy. You know what is a strategy? Good preparation. That's a strategy. So uh, ill preparation can only yield positive results if luck is on your side. So be prepared. Hone your casting. Prepare your tackle. Know where things are. Be sure you're prepared. Have high quality flies. Have the right selection. You don't need a, you don't need a bazillion different flies. You know what you need? You need a good stock of the flies that you're confident in. Okay? Um. Luck only works once in a while. Prowess works every time. If you have good angling prowess, you're going to be successful. The catching will take care of itself. Okay. Uh, I hope some of these philosophies and thoughts are helpful for you. Uh, I think people should take a, a little bit more kind of hunter's uh, mentality or a predator's mentality to the water with them uh, when they're angling for trout because like I said, there's great finality to these trout. They realize that if they come to the surface and they eat the wrong thing, they've been stung. They've been caught. They know that is a very dangerous 
scenario for them to put themselves in vulnerable positions. That's why we've trained these North American trout on on heavily pressured streams. Um, and I'm just going to call pretty much every Western river that's open for trout pressured. All of those mature trout at some point in their life have seen flies. Uh, we've trained them to feed late in the evenings, early in the mornings. We've trained them to feed on small flies. All you have to do is go visit, uh, you know, a place like Kamchatka someday and, uh, and go to a, a stream that has, you know, it's got great fish, but a lot, we have, we have trout within a stone's throw of where I'm sitting here in the Jeep as large as, uh, a good number of the fish I caught in Kamchatka. The difference is these trout right behind me here, uh, or out, out in the, the river in front of Reds, they've been trained to be selective and be smart and eat small bugs. I'm not going to be able to throw a mouse pattern at these fish in the middle of the day in the summer and have them chase it and eat it two and three times. The trout in Kamchatka are primal, they're wild, they're vicious predators, and they have not had that that survival mechanism survival mechanism of selective feeding uh, trained or bred into them yet the way we have here. So. I hope that you guys respect a trout's intelligence and its its will and want to survive uh, and spawn and reproduce and stay alive. Um, when you approach the water, just go out with that respect. Realize that you're hunting that trout. That trout is doing its best to survive. And, uh, you know, I'll run through a few of these quotes one more time, okay? And just, we're going to wrap this up, but I want to run through them in a little bit more of a list. Throw your watch away. One delicate and accurate presentation has more value than a hundred mediocre attempts. Fish alone more often. It is a life or death game to the trout. It carries great finality. Don't change flies. Buy quality flies. Ill preparation can only yield positive results if luck is on your side. So be prepared, people. And uh, lucky works once in a while while prowess produces every single time. So that's my podcast for today. A little less technical than some of the other ones. Uh, I will probably stay uh, more frequent now that the season is slowing down. The guide season is slowing down. Hunting season is, uh, we're, we're three quarters of the way through that. Uh, so I'll have a little bit more spare time to get a podcast out or two. But come shop with Reds. Hit us on chat. Call us. Uh, and uh, we would love to help you out. We'd love to earn your business, and we hope you enjoyed listening, and we do appreciate you. So fish on, and uh, we'll catch you later.